you so much, Charlie and the team. Hello, welcome, and good morning, everyone. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to go through primarily verses 11 and on, but we're going to, of course, we have to visit the first part of verses 1 to 9 to fully grasp what this chapter is telling us today. What an appropriate song for us to sing in view of today's topic. We have a God who indeed is like a consuming fire. Hold on. He is a God who refines us and transforms us as we stay near to him in his presence. And in fact, uh, I was going to save this illustration for the final part of this sermon, but I'm going to start off with it this morning in view of what we just sang. The reminder that our God is this fire that consumes our impurities and transforms us individually and thus corporately as a church when we're refined to become more like Christ. You see, when we talk about the church this morning, about the family that the church is meant to be, it may come off like I am just saying these are things we need to do better and things we need to get more involved in. But I don't want you to take that away with you at the end of today. For the fact of the matter is, it is not we who can transform ourselves or become the good family members in the church we need to become. It's God who must bring us there. In fact, at the very last verse of chapter uh, 2, it says, and in Christ, or in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That Christ is working in you as a part of the holy temple, the church that he's building up so that you would become this dwelling place for the spirit and he might work through you. And here's the analogy. You and I are, uh, if you want to think of it this way, are kind of like cookies, uh, some dough batter if you want to think about it this way. We have in us the composition that is needed to become who Christ wants us to be. The good news for us as Christians is that you and I lack nothing to be able to grow into the mature, faithful Christians that God is calling us to be. You've been born again by his Holy Spirit. You're someone that is indwelled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear fruit and to have gifts. You've been given the word of God, which is close to you, that, that God uses to speak to you and lead you. Just like with if you were baking, you would have all the ingredients beaten together and mixed, and you have that, uh, that batter with the egg, the butter, the cookie mix, all mixed together. What you need to be a full-fledged cookie is all there. But here's the question. How do you go from a lump of dough to being a baked cookie? You need to be near a source of heat, and you need some time to pass. If I may draw the analogy for you, for we as Christians, we need to be near to our God who is that consuming fire. As we walk with God, as you're in a relation with God, he refines away those impurities and he makes us to look more and more like who we are in Christ. It's really just a matter of time and walking near to the Lord who is that source of growth and transformation for us. And the church, if you want to think about it, this might be stretching the analogy, is kind of like the oven. The church is that place where the source of heat is burning and where it is uh, enclosed so that we can stir each other up to this passionate walk and zeal 
for God. Outside of the church, it's hard to stay warm. It's hard to stay passionate. The church is meant to be a place that looks different in that it facilitates a spiritual growth in us. And that is what I want to spur us on to today as the church. Listen, church, you are all meant to look very different than all of the world's organizations and entities out there. If you will, if I can borrow this phrase that our young people use, the church family should, be just, should just be built different. We should be built different. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, but our young people use it with this idea that we are just fundamentally different. If LeBron James and I were to have a dunk contest, you would see that we are naturally built different. There's just something about him that's completely different than me. I am not his height. I don't have his strength. I don't have his conditioning. And it is evident there is something different between us. Between American and uh, Japanese cars like Toyota, you might recognize that sometimes they're just built different. My brother Akeem tells me that BMWs have parts that break down and need to be replaced very regularly. But with some of your Toyotas, you can keep working those things and running them for years on end. They are just built different. The household of God, the church body, is meant to be built different. And I want to share a couple of different ways that, 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 that we see that according to what we read in Ephesians chapter 2. And so to start, start us off, I want us to recognize that our world struggles to bring any group of people together in unity. It doesn't matter what nation, what company, what organization, it is always a struggle to be unified. Even here in America, you think that we'd be a culture where we're united among some fundamental values and uh, uh, some fundamental virtues and values. That's actually not so much the case anymore. Take any hot topic today and you'll be hard-pressed to find one area of large agreement within our society. And you might say maybe that's because we're a culture composed of many different people of many different backgrounds. But if you take even a mono-ethnic group, a homogenous group, if you were to take a, a country like China or Russia, which is composed of people that are similar background and similar language, are they easily united? Well, you know that that's not the case in China. Look at the Uyghurs. That's the clear evidence. Or Tibetans. You look at Russia more recently. Multiple ex-neighboring Soviet nations like Kazakhstan, Georgia, Azerbaijan, they all have been distancing themselves from their Russian counterparts. They don't stand for what we stand for. One diplomat put it this way. If there's an iron curtain going back up in this world, we don't want to be behind it. It's not easy to keep people unified uh, in any entity or organization. But friends, here in the church body that God has given to us, we have the means to find a full unity in Christ that the world has never seen. And we are meant to be showing a church that is fundamentally different than any other gathering of people in the world. It's an incredible thought. But that's what Christ has intended for us. I want us to start reading in Ephesians chapter 2, 11 to 21. And I want us to keep this in mind. How are we meant to be different than the world around us as the body of believers? It starts like this. Paul says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth 
and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached Peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray today that your spirit would help us to see who the church was meant to be, what the church was meant to be in this world, the contrast that our that the church body is meant to, 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 to distinguish itself with before the world. And Father, I pray today that our people may not just hear, this is what we must do, but instead may they see, this is what God wants to do in me as I walk with him close to that source of spiritual fervor and fire in my life. Father, help us to catch the vision. Help us to be excited as a church to walk in a way where we will shine like lights in this world. And we pray that we might be such a church that distinguishes itself from the broken lostness of this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll notice our text starts out in verse 11 with a therefore, and we must go back to verses 1 to 9. And there in verses 1 to 9, we have perhaps one of the greatest statements about the gospel. In the first nine verses, Paul lays out one of the most glorious descriptions of what Christ has done for us. He describes that we were once apart from Christ, and we were those who were spiritually dead in transgressions and sin. That is to say, we had no connection to Jesus Christ and no means to know him or walk with him. We were people that were shackled to a wicked world which was guided under the power of Satan. So we weren't just dead in transgressions, we were slaves. We were enslaved in this world in a system that was oppressive and harsh and would rob us of any true life or joy. And more than that, we were also slaves to our own sinful desires and flesh. That there was a time that we, O oh Christians, could only follow after the vain pursuits of our own lives, right? And we were under the judgment of God for our wickedness. Uh, it, it puts it here that we were by nature deserving of wrath. That if you were to observe and rate our lives before a holy God, there would be nothing there except disqualification. 
That's where we came from, folks. And from that great contrast of hopelessness and brokenness, Paul says, but because of God's great love for us, because God, who is rich in mercy, he brought us to life through the work of Jesus Christ, who died for us. It says he made us, God made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in transgression. And it is by grace that we have been saved. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. He made us spiritually alive now to belong to him, now to experience him, right? How amazing is that grace to to now enjoy the incomparable riches of God's grace showered upon us as fully worthy and belonging to him because of what Christ has done in his death on the cross and resurrection in power. He is forever that high priest that ensures when you and I come before the Lord, we are not turned away, but welcomed with loving kindness. That is all what Christ has done. And with that in mind, Paul goes and declares in, you know, Ephesians 2, right? 8 to 10, he says, It is by grace that, if, that, that you have been saved through faith, through your trust in Christ you've been saved. This is not from yourself. It's a gift of God. It's nothing we have done. It's not a matter of works so that none of us can boast. That is the core of the gospel message. That is sheer and pure grace that any one of us can ever know God and come to God. It is 100% what God has done, 0% what we have done, and that will never change as long as we live. Praise God for that fact, that we can't fall out of our salvation and that we don't have to earn to keep our salvation. Are you grateful for that truth today? For me, I got to say, when I was reading this, I just rejoiced all over again. Thank you, Lord, for, for this passage that so richly reminds us of who we are in Christ. Does it not, fan your, does it not uh, fuel your gratitude towards the Lord when you think about the fact that we went from wretchedly doomed and a free fall plummet towards separation from Christ, that Jesus, in love, reached out for us and grabbed a hold of us so that we would not fall into an abyss, an eternity of separation from God. And he did that at great cost, even the cost of his own life for us. This is the means by which Paul says, therefore, Gentiles, in view of such mercy and undeserved love, Therefore, remember this truth. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in this world. Folks, what he is saying here is that for we, and I think most of us here, no Jews in the house, I don't think, all of us were people that were never designed or in the lineage of Jews to take hold of the promise of a Messiah who would come to die and suffer for his own people. None of us were meant to be part of that promise originally, but by God's grace and mercy, even though we once were people that had no place and no standing, or as he puts it here in verse 13, we were once those far away. We have been brought near by the love and mercy of God who loves every person, every, every person that reflects his image 
around this world. Not one single race, one single ethnicity, one nationality. Is there a person who God does not care for and love? We are all those who have been brought near to him through the work of Christ. All of us at one time were like those, as it says in verse 12, without hope and without God in this world. Real quick, I want us to realize that these two are synonymous. If you are without hope in this life, you're somebody that doesn't know God. And if you are someone that is without God, even if you have hope for this life, you are ultimately hopeless. You just don't realize it yet. We live in a world that is truly hopeless apart from this rescuing work of God. Think about how broken this world is. Just in this uh, last few years, we have had a disease come and rack our society, changing our our day-to-day as we know it through COVID, taking many lives of people that we know and love. We've had a war break out that has affected every part of our society. And yeah, your fuel prices are a product of what's happening in Ukraine. We've had economic downturn so that people are losing jobs and unable to afford their rents anymore. We've had uh, fewer and fewer whole families, people that are breaking apart because they can't agree on how to handle their bills. We've had a community more and more isolated one from the other, right? And people feel more and more disconnected from their neighbor and feeling like they have someone who cares. The proof of it is in the statistics. In 2020, in June, the CDC released data showing one in four adults from 18 years to 24 years old contemplated suicide in the past year. One in four. Imagine if here in this group, if say we had about 50 here, if about 12 of you had entertained seriously taking your own life. That is a world without hope. 51% of our population from 18 to 29 regularly feel depression in the past few weeks and a feeling of hopelessness week to week. It's easy to feel that if you're working in this life without any clear direction or hope that there's a deeper meaning or purpose. And certainly hard times has played a role in that, but do we recognize that we live in a time and an era where we have more resources and more opportunity and more comfort than any of the generations in the centuries past. It's not just about hard times, folk. There is spiritual emptiness and hopelessness in this world. In psychology today, one psychologist, almost certainly not a Christian, said this about the young generation and their despair and nihilism. He said there is no absolute meaning Literally or philosophically, no standards, including ideas of good and bad, all are relative and changeable, not dictated by an infallible God, but laid down by the powerful to exploit the weak. Imagine if your view of this world is whatever we understand about good and morality and ethics and character, all of that's a system gamed to make a few people succeed. No wonder our young people in Gen Z and maybe some of our millennials and maybe some of you, even the boomers, may feel like this world is hopeless. Whether you've experienced that and been betrayed by it or feel like this world is filled with people that are just out to get each other. Whether or not we acknowledge it, this world is a world without hope if there is no God. Paul's point was that before Jesus Christ, 
Without the gospel, that was all of us. Every single one of us was in that same predicament that we had no future hope outside of the rescuing hand of Christ. In church, dear family, the first reason, if you want to jot this down, that we are different as a church in this world, the first reason that we are built to look different than our world is that, number one, we rejoice in our inclusion into God's family as those totally undeserving. One more time, we are different, built different than this world because we rejoice in our inclusion into God's family as those totally undeserving. There is no other group of people on this planet that understand 100% sheer undeserved grace like Christians should. There is no other people that have been so radically saved despite knowing how unworthy they are. And unlike a hopeless and lost world that feels like everyone is out for themselves, we rejoice that God was for us when we had nothing to offer. Folks, how can we not look different? How can we not be differently built when we have such, an, such a, a, tr- a knowledge of the truth that we are dearly beloved and rescued by God? You know, we ought to have this attitude and mindset as members of God's family each day that we wake up and we are experiencing God's love that I don't belong, I I don't deserve to belong to God today, I don't deserve to have this walk with you today, God, but because of your love, here I am thinking about you, praying to you, and I know you. And that's in itself reason to rejoice. Those who are happiest are those who understand how much they have to be joyful for. Do you know who the happiest and most grateful Americans are? They tend to not be Americans like me, born here, raised here, always with the rights and privileges of an American. The happiest Americans are those who have come over escaping desperate and dangerous situations in a home country ruled by a dictator, ruled in an iron a country ruled by an iron fist where there is not freedoms to believe and to speak as you will. People seeking asylum. People coming out here because they realize how desperate and how impoverished this world is. Those people who come here and gain citizenship beam and rejoice and can't stop talking about how glad they are to be here in America. But folks, when I talk with some of these people, I can't help but feel guilty. Man, I, I, I take for granted how good it is to be in a nation where we do have freedoms. But you know what? We have a far greater kingdom to rejoice in, folks, as Christians. Because human freedom and liberties is, while good, has not rescued our society from hopelessness, brokenness, from depression. Those statistics I gave you were not worldwide. Those were American statistics. You know what's sad? Is that there's countries with far less resources and privileges and far lower suicide rates. The fact of the matter is, as much as you might rejoice in being an American citizen, doesn't hold a candle to the fact that you are a family member in the household of God. Does that cause you to rejoice? Does that cause us to to praise the Lord and, and to thank God and to live with a gratitude despite what may come? Dear church, the family of Christ 
should look different than the world when hard times come. The family of Christ should look different when we're disrespected by people and things don't go our way. The family of Christ, when people come in, should have a different feel about the atmosphere of its people. And I praise God here this morning, you guys showed it. I heard a whoop during the middle of one of the songs as we were in the middle of the stanzas. I don't know if you caught it, Charlie. Someone was rejoicing. I saw people moving, clapping, rejoicing. Friends, that's what it should be when we reflect on what we have, this new life, this inclusion undeserved into the household of God should lift our spirit even in our hardest hour. So that when we are bedridden in the hospital, like our sister Miss Beth was after a major surgery, there's still this light radiating from her face. Charlie, and, I don't remember if Charlie was there actually, but I think my wife and I, or maybe it was Charlie and I, went to visit her and I remember she was beaming with joy and just talked about how she shared about her gratitude to God with the nurse that was serving her. That should be how Christians and the church is built we rejoice in our inclusion into God's family as those totally undeserving. I got a question for us this morning, church. Is that our attitude in life that I am someone undeserving of God's mercy and grace, yet he's poured it out on me and I want to live with praise in my life today? Or are we like an entitled citizen, right, who just says, yeah, this is what I should have, and on top of it, Lord, where is the rest? I confess, I've been there before, right? But if God were to examine our lives, how much rejoicing and how much glory and honor is he receiving from your mouth and from your thoughts and from your heart each day? When I think about that, I realize, Lord, I'm still quite the ingrate, but Lord, please help me. Help me to rejoice as one who ought to rejoice, having come across the saving hand of Christ in the midst of hopelessness. Can I just share a few thoughts that our community group reflected on this week? We talked about how do we keep ourselves and remain in the love of Christ so that that's close to our hearts and our minds through the week. We recalled the need for us to count our blessings as Easy as it is to just point to this, how often do we really just take into stock all the good things that God has given to us? From the ba basic provision of your health and the fact that you're not stressing over a medical crisis or a medical bill or a medical issue of a family member, did you know that that's huge reason to rejoice? This earlier this week, Virginia and I went to visit uh, one of her uh, godparents' kids who's battling cancer. Did you know he can't walk up his staircase without having severe cramps here, without having to sit down and go to the bathroom, right? In order to welcome us, he took some painkillers to be able to go up the staircase with us. He's well-to-do, but I'll tell you right now that he would long for nothing else than to be able to have his strength restored. He went from someone that would exercise regularly and have uh, time uh, um, doing push-ups with his kid to going to only being able to do girl push-ups, and now he can't even do that. Do you know how grateful and how much praise would come from his mouth if he had full health like you and I do? Folks, we ought to rejoice when we have health, when we have life. That is not a small gift, right? 
And when you're going and you have a family member that maybe is going through crisis or, or in a moment of transition and you may lose them from your life, you realize how easily we take them for granted, right? Or when we realize we have jobs and the ability to support our families, you realize what a joy that is, even though it's hard work. Folks, these are not small things. We need to rejoice in the Lord and praise him in the good times. How are we going to praise him when the hard times come if I don't even praise him when things are good? Right? And boy, let me tell you, he's still holding on to faith. He's a Christian. He told me straight up, it's really hard right now and I need encouragement. But he's holding on to hope. And folks, we also need to take time to just meet with the Lord and spend time with him. It's a relationship to start talking to God and saying, Lord, I'm right here to meet with you and to remember his goodness and worship him and thank him and praise him and sing songs of rejoicing to him. To, to take time to, uh, to recall the goodness that he has brought in your life and the answered promise, the promises he has extended to you in his word. To take time to meet with your Savior. We need to, uh, we ought to like Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15 recall just the depth of his forgiveness. I think our sister Hannah mentioned this one that in practicing repentance and confessing our sin, we remember just how deep how, how much God's love has forgiven us and we're reminded once again how dearly he loves us. As Jesus tells us, the one who is forgiven much loves much. Let me ask you, do you view yourself as someone forgiven much? Maybe it's not that we haven't been forgiven much but that we just don't realize, I don't realize how sinful I really am and how sinful I still am day to day. And I'm not saying that so that we beat ourselves up, but so that we come and we embrace and bask in that forgiveness made new to us each day, that mercy made new every morning. Well, we got to move on here. In fact, later on, we have our brother coming to give a presentation of Japan after the service, so I don't want to go too long today. But the first reason that we ought to be built differently than this world is that we are built with a understanding of, of God's inclusion into his family, that it was given to people like us totally undeserving. Number two, the second reason we're built differently is that we are people that are united under Christ as the head of the church. We have one Lord who reigns as Lord over every single one of our lives. And unlike a world divided over man's culture and ambition, we are united in Christ. Look at verse 14. Jesus Christ himself is our peace who made the two groups uh, one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. The two groups there are Gentiles and Jews, people with totally different ideas of how to live and conceptions of worship and who God is. But Jesus Christ being peace for the Gentiles and peace for the Jews brought, brought peace between us. How did he do it? Verse 15, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Let's put it this way. There was a set of laws that once really divided Jews from the Gentiles. And it was a thing made so that Jews would remember that they are God's people and different. But what Jesus did was that he came and in his body he brought 
that old law and those old requirements that set the Gentiles and Jews against each other, he brought that to nothing. He made it null and void. And how he did it was not just by glossing over it. He did it by fulfilling that law fully for all of us, living out the law perfectly in the way that no Jew and no Gentile ever could. And in doing so, he made it a non-factor. Think of it this way. If there was two groups of people that were studying for exams, they have different ways of handling an equation. When both of them end up failing horribly the exam and the professor says, by grace, going to pass you both fully, 100%, going to give it to you by grace. I'm a foot your tuition because you don't deserve to be in school, but I'll do it anyways. Guess what happens about arguing over the equations in that test? becomes trivial and unimportant. And suddenly, the competition and the different trying to one-up each other and say we're better, suddenly that's all gone, and all that remains is gratitude. That's what should happen in the church between those who come to Jesus Christ. There's no room for boasting, as it says in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, right? There's no room for any of us to believe like we have more right to belong to the family of Christ than another. And all of us alike have been brought under the work of Christ to save us when we trust in him as Lord. And thus, we have one common goal, one common pursuit, one common master, that is Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. He brought us together into one body. Scripture tells us that he, Jesus Christ, is the head of that body. Remember that even in the church, Charlie and I are not the final head. We are simply under shepherds to the head, Jesus Christ. And what happens in the church is that we're able to demonstrate an otherworldly unity. We have, we're built differently, you might say, than all the other organizations in the world because we have a reason to humbly follow after our Savior who is the CEO or the boss. None of us has a reason to insert ourselves and usurp our place and say, I have a better idea. I have a better way of doing things or I should be the one to call the shots. Every Christian is someone that should be fully under the authority and reign of Christ with absolute humility. And what that means for us practically in church life and church ministry is that all of us ought to submit freely one to the other. In Ephesians chapter 5, three chapters later, Paul tells us that we are to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. That's what precedes the instruction of society and the household. And so while you hear about how wives are to submit to their husbands and how husbands are to sacrifice to the, for their wives, even being willing to lay down their lives, that's all in the context of submitting to Christ. In the Lord, we surrender and we submit to one another. When we're told for a child to obey their parents or a parent to be patient with the child, that's not just because you should. That's because if you honor Christ, you ought to think that way and love each other that way. And the same is true for a servant and a master. You work hard, not just because your master is watching, but because you honor Christ, who is the ultimate master. And if you're a boss or in a position of leadership over someone else, you need to treat that person well because you have a heavenly master 
And you don't want to know what he'll do to you, right, if you decide to abuse somebody else. And so that is true in society and in family that we need to, out of reverence to Christ, submit to each other, but it's also true in the church. The church should look different. Unlike a world where people are fighting each other to be right, to have control, to have recognition, to have more to influence in the church, the church should never look like that, folks. Too many business meetings and too many churches where we have the same poor standards of the world. But folks, the church is built to be different. We are built to be united under Christ as the head of the church, and every one of us should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and be willing to engage the thoughts of others even more highly than we promote our own views. Church, can we be that as a church? We're going to have new ministries rising up in time as more families come, different age groups form, new needs develop with this building. And when that time comes, would we remember to have this mindset to be united under Christ as the head? We're here to serve him, not to serve ourselves, not even just to serve the church, ultimately to serve and to honor Christ. And we need to try to decrease in that process and to let Jesus Christ increase. In the community, this means that we need to look out for one another and really look to the good of those around us. Yes, maybe your schedule is packed But as one of our sisters prayed today, would we make time and even sacrifice for one another? For when our brother and sister is hurting, will we take time to host them? Even though you could veg out and enjoy your favorite show, would you instead say, I'm going to call so-and-so. I'm going to drive out. I'm going to meet them. Even when there's not someone with much commonality between you, maybe you're uh, someone who's single and you see a new visiting family, maybe you're someone with a child and you see a visiting international student, would you all have the mind of Christ? be united under the heart of Christ who would reach out despite the differences. Church, I pray that anytime new people come through that there is a swarm of love that represents Christ coming out along around them. I, I pray that amongst our church, even if you only see each other one time on Sunday, that you would engage someone that you've never talked to and say, hey, you know, I see you around often Once again, my name is so-and-so. Maybe you already knew that, but I confessed I didn't. Would you guys really get engaged, church, in loving each other well, being involved in each other's lives well, looking into the need of one another over your own? And so finally, uh, lastly, the third way that we are, are built differently than the world is that we contribute to the church family with our God-given gifts. Unlike a world that is lost without meaning and purpose, Christians, we find that purpose in Christ. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Three analogies here. Number one, the analogy of citizenship. We already talked about this one a little bit, but that we are people in the kingdom of God now and that we are, uh, that kingdom, spiritual kingdom is where we really belong. 
that in this world, even if you feel like a misfit in your culture, in your country, in wherever you're studying, you are never a misfit in the kingdom of God. God has brought you into the family of Christ and you belong there and he is meant for you to flourish there. And brothers and sisters, if you've been having a hard time with that in your church experience before, I want to say, don't give up. The church was built differently. Give them a chance to be the church in your life, right? Because God has brought us into a kingdom, uh, 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 given us a citizenship where we now walk with him and know him, and he is meant to be the deepest thing that we share with the people around us. Let the church be that for you. We're no longer foreigners and strangers. So that's the first analogy. Second analogy is that we're like a family. We're like a household. Every one of you is like a member that's been brought into a house. And think about how, uh, members of a house is that everyone belongs and everyone plays a role. In a household, the parent provides and guides. The children are people that help around the house and they're growing and learning the toddlers and infants need to learn to eat and sleep. You may laugh, but that's a real hard thing for kids and infants to learn, and it's important because they got to take care of themselves one day, right? There, there's going to be grandparents who may not be able to contribute much, but their presence alone, right, has purpose and meaning. So it is in the body of Christ that there's not a single member here in this church that has not been equipped with a purpose, with a gifting to serve in the church. Let me just say this when we talk about serving in the church, that first of all, it's, it's not about the service, the function itself. I want you to remember as a member of the household, you're not just a worker here to fill a need, a cog in a machine. It can feel like that sometimes. Our, our, our world likes to say that, by the way. It likes to say, oh yeah, you're all part of the team here. You're not just a cog, but at the end of the day, they drop your pay or fire you easily. And that's that, right? Church cannot be like that because it's not about just getting things done. The church, being a member of the church, number one, means relationship, that you belong to this family here, that you're surrounded by brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, people that are here to sustain you and love you. If your conception of church and serving in church is just, where do I fill the whole, let me try to expand that for you. It's important to have the relation, folks that the people that you serve with and the people that you serve day to day or week to week, that these are people you view as family. And they're not just people that, you know, you're just fulfilling the function because that's your good church duty. That's a recipe for burnout. And I don't want that for you. I want you, number one, to be a part of that family, that household here in church. In order to be that family, like I said earlier, all that I mentioned earlier, we've got to really grow and, and, and be better than the world when it comes to loving and caring for our own. But with that said, every single one of you, according to Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, has unique equipping, equipping and gifting. Right? Each one of you brings something to this church that someone else does not bring. There's only one Chinese Ecuadorian in this congregation. Right, who's going to be able to talk with someone of a similar background? There, there, there's only uh, one Doug here in the congregation, right? Who, who brings his experience as a chaplain working with children, right? There, there's, there's only only one pilot in the congregation, to my knowledge, John, right? Who can connect with a fellow pilot or maybe another army or military man. 
And every single one of you is valuable not just because of your unique spiritual gifting, but every part of who God has made you to be is valuable in the body of Christ. And church, that's why we need the whole body of Christ. It's why we need you all to be a part and engaged with the full ministry of the church. What do you think when you think of church ministry? Do you just think that it's the service here on Sunday or our official events or outreaches, church? The ministry of the church is so much more than that. It is the widows getting fed in Acts 6 as, as part of the church ministry. It's the prayer of saints coming together when a brother is in dire trouble, as they did for Peter, right, when he was jailed in the apostles. It is the body of Christ coming when there is a, a need to be filled in another church plant somewhere and making an offering in a collection. The body of Christ does not stop when Sunday closes, folks. The church ministry continues, and it won't continue without you. We need each one of you to view your contribution to the church as more than just your specific ministry task and fully as a part of a, a, part of a family, as a member, right? A brother does more than just take care of his sister's particular needs, but in all he provides to her as someone that is there and present and encourager and someone there to point her towards the guidance of the parents. Church, I, I pray that we would be a church that has a healthy view of service. And let me just say now that we actually really have this big need. Uh, last week, Jeremiah, can you believe it? I, don't, I think he may have already taken off to take care of food. He tried to feed 65 people with barely any help. I think, Chris, you may have been the only one backing him up, right? Folks, would anyone come alongside Jeremiah with this kitchen ministry, y'all? He's feeding us every week, and he's shouldering the load of coming early with food prep. His, he's got a kid at home, a uh, baby at home, uh, baby Emery, right? And Brittany has to get ready by herself. And every week he's here. And not only is he here, he's doing worship team as well. He's also a part of who, who looks at our, uh, he's part of the building team that looks at our usage. He's running three, four teams, right? I don't say that to guilt anyone. I want you guys to know we got brothers, sisters really working overtime real hard to sustain the ministries uh, of our church. And there's this, this need there. Is anyone willing to come alongside and say, I'll come a little early? I mean, you don't have to be a chef. I mean, Jeremiah came over to my house one day and I was scared to cook in front of him, right? Because he's gotten, I, just like I'd be scared to cook in front of John Blaha over there, right? He's a good chef, Julio. Uh, you don't need to be a John or a Julio. If you can cut onions or wash dishes, you can help, right? Did you know that after church that we haven't had a cleaning ministry and, and sisters and brothers are volunteering their times? I see you, sisters. You know who you are. You guys get back there and you spend maybe an hour or maybe more than an hour cleaning dishes and it's gross and nasty. Your hands are wrinkled when you're done. Folks, can we lend a hand to these sisters? And part of it is on me. I need to be better at administration coordination, but you know what? That's one of the giftings. Administration's a gifting in scripture. If you are good at coordinating, would you step up and say, hey, I'm willing to lead a team. I'm willing to ask people, would you help clean, even though they may not like you for it, right? Do we have anyone willing to come and be a part of a prayer ministry? Sister Hannah, leading this prayer team. I'm willing to pray for someone in need that takes emergency prayer requests during the middle of the week. I'm willing to go and visit someone that's struggling, right? Someone that's end up hospitalized. I have that gift of hospitality, that gift of mercy. Does anyone have a, a, a gift of 
technical service. You've got technical and mechanical skills. How many of you here are able to change out a light bulb? We got a lot of stuff around this church that needs maintenance. Brother Akeem and a few others have been trying to keep this building afloat. And let me just tell you, like uh, last, this, earlier this week, we had another squirrel come and chew a power line. Praise God, didn't blow out any of our ACs to my knowledge. But in that moment, man, it was like Charlie and I scrambled. We, we scrapped our plans for the office that morning. We walked around trying to figure out what to do, called Encore, uh, called an electrician. It really helps to have someone that is willing to come and able to help with those things. We got people investing into youth and children that work hard each week. Some of them don't get to be in here very often for worship. Some of them come out multiple times a week. Church, if you have not found a place to serve in the church, I want to invite you to do it, not just so that the work gets done, but so that God would, through your participation and faithfulness in the church, he would bless others through you and grow you into full maturity in Jesus Christ. Because that's one of the way that you, as part of this holy temple that's being built up, as he talks about in verse 22, that's one of the ways that God grows us. One of the huge ways that he grows us is in service, formal in a church setting and also informal as we learn to love and to serve one another. To conclude it up, number three, we are built differently because we are built to contribute to the church family with God-given gifts that leave an eternal reward. Church, let's get involved as a church. Some of you all, I'm going to introduce some uh, new members today in a little bit, but I want you guys to keep track of these people and love them well. Come and engage them well. Actually, quite a few people are missing, so we'll have to do it again in another week. But once again, church, we as, we as the church family, we are built differently. Number one, because we rejoice in our inclusion into God's family as those totally undeserving. Number two, because we are united under Christ as head of the church. Number three, because we contribute to the church family with our God-given gifts. And that promise in verse 22 that in him, in Christ, he is going to be the one that builds you up to serve. So don't stress out. You don't need to feel guilty. All you need to do is be that lump of cookie dough, get next to the source of heat, which is Jesus Christ, and let his presence and his nurturing from his walk with you bring the heat to form you into who you were meant to be. You're not lacking anything. You just need to get close to the Savior, and in time, he will make you a faithful church member. Would you bow your heads with me now? Father, it's been much longer than I intended to preach, but I praise you, Lord, that you made our church family, the, the, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, you made us to be radically different than the broken organizations and entities and even families in this world. And Father, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would Reveal in us those areas where we have not come to take hold of, those areas where we can show how different we are than the world. Lord, there's some of us here today, and we have forgotten how loved we are, how forgiven we are. We have taken for granted your salvation. We have failed to rejoice in you and the joy of your salvation. And Father, I pray today that we would recall anew how deep, how wide, how endless your mercy is for us. If there's some of you here and you look back on your week and you recognize there's a lack of worship, there's a lack of gratitude, there's a lack of praise, there's an abundance of 
groaning, abundance of dissatisfaction, I want to invite us into a time of repentance. That we would come before the Lord and say, Lord, I recognize that I have not been a grateful child. And Lord, I want to live joyful. I don't want to continue to be entitled. I don't want to continue to live rejoicing even in the wrong things in life. But help me to rejoice in you. Just take a moment to come back to the Lord right now, here and now. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for not counting our blessings. Forgive us for taking granted our health. Forgive us for neglecting to see how sinful we still are and not repenting. Lord, some of us are still walking in a sin or an addiction or a temptation even right now. Lord, and we don't give you praise or worship you for the fact that you bear with us that you would forgive us if only we would bring that sin and say, Lord, I recognize I've gone astray. Oh, Lord, won't you forgive me? And you, oh God, who has no reason to forgive us, would do so generously, graciously, and fully. Where else do we find such mercy and grace? Some of us have held on to resentment towards others. We have not loved our neighbor well. We have not put the needs of others before ourselves. And yet God still showers grace upon us and still forgives us, still loves us. I want to invite us right now, if we have not shown the difference that we ought to show as a church in how we care for one another and how we submit to Christ, as Lord and treat others more significant than ourselves? If we've been a selfish spouse, a selfish parent, I want to invite you right here and now, ask the Lord to change you, to help you, that you wouldn't live this week like you lived the past week. If you had trouble with a coworker or a neighbor, would you ask the Lord to be king over you once again, that you would surrender your ways to him. If we've been unfaithful with our time, maybe if you look back on this week, you see many, many hours and days where you have not lived for the glory of the Lord. You have not lived to further the kingdom. You have not served those who are desperately in need of care. Oh, church, let's not continue on and neglect each other's needs. Would we come back to the Lord and say, Lord, all I am is yours. Lord, I am meant to be like clay in your hands, which you can mold, that I can draw near to your holy fire, and you would refine me and turn me into the man or woman you've called me to be. Ask him to do it this day. Finally, there are some of us here today and we have not lifted our, 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 our church life to God yet, and we're not serving, we're not plugged in, would you ask the Lord today to show you where you can serve? Where is that ministry that may need some help? Where can I humbly and supportively come along to strengthen this church, small as we are, young as we are? Where is the opportunity, opportunity to come alongside the body of Christ, to, to help our young pastoral team, Father, that so often is indeed in need of help. 
to strengthen teams that are overloaded like Jeremiah, who even now is in the kitchen. Father, put it on our hearts that we would joyfully serve, for we are those that by your grace are building blocks in the temple of God, people made a part of a household to be children of the Lord Most High, and it is our privilege, not a burden, to serve you. Lord, we thank you, and we ask that you would lead us forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.